This is the Workin' With series, presented by your host, Hayley Sudbury. Listen in each month to find out who we're working with. Hayley sits down with some of the world's most exciting leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the companies they love, their definition of success, and the real secret behind it all, their superpower. So I'm with Anika Khan here, founder and CEO of ePorter, who I recently met at a fantastic women's dinner. Why don't you tell me a little bit about ePorter? Sure. So ePorter is effectively a wholesale marketplace for furniture online. So let's say that you're an interior designer or you're an architect or you're a retailer. We help you to find items online directly from the makers who made them around the world. Uh, negotiate trade pricing and then transact so actually purchase them and effectively we save you 80% of the time in the sourcing process as well as give you access to 1,500 exquisite manufacturers from around the world and so it's a business that is um, in 80 countries today so it's grown quite quickly not gracefully quickly but quickly and we um, yes just connect connect trade buyers with gorgeous products around the world. Fantastic. And is there a view to be B2C at some point? Not not right now. Um, there isn't, although we do get asked that question a lot. So we are very focused on trade. Um, trade is great because they are professionals and they really, really have the skill to know what it is that they want, which makes life a lot easier for our manufacturers. A lot of the manufacturers don't sell to trade or consumers. They'll usually sell to retail, um, who then in turn sell to consumers. And so it makes the life easier for manufacturers. But we do have, as our members, as we call them, um, what we call the contract market. So restaurant chains, hotel chains, um, cafes, basically any business who's looking to source furniture is also a trade or member of the trade. And they can source directly from manufacturers through us. So so from, for what a lot of people think is that is not a consumer proposition, there's a gray area there, which feels a little bit more consumer to basically anyone who's got a business. Right. Fair enough. So tell me, like a lot of people have great ideas and I'm sure a lot of people have had great ideas in this space as well. What was really kind of the turning point that made this all a reality for you? In terms of deciding to do it in the yeah. first place? Yeah. So for me, I so I bought a flat in Brixton, um, which I still have. I was just struggling to find furniture for the flat. So it was really that simple. I was... I love nice spaces. I love well-designed spaces. And I thought, you know what? It's my first flat. I'm going to make it look exquisite. And so I was online the whole time looking at furniture. I was going to shops um, on the weekend, in the evening, just really trying to figure out what it is that I could get. And um, I just found it really hard. And so I was at Zoopla at the time, um, the property aggregator. And I thought, hang on a second. Zoopla makes it really easy to to find me property online. Why doesn't something like this exist for furniture online? And so the whole thing actually started as a B2C idea up front, which was help me, Anika Khan, find furniture for my home. And then through meeting with a lot of people in the industry and discovering that there are fantastic manufacturers out there who make great products, but don't have the ability to to be seen by trade, I realized that really the, the biggest bottleneck in the industry is on the trade side, which is that it's hard for retailers, interior designers, office blocks to actually find items directly from manufacturers, which means that you and I find it difficult when we're looking for our home. And so I took a step back and said, okay, this is nuts. There are absolutely incredible products out there. 
there are lots of people who want to find them. They are design-led. They really want to get the right piece. People spend ages finding the right item. Why not really help the industry in terms of making that just an easier process online? And so it was very much a personal issue up front, although now we've got to a stage where I can't even buy furniture, although I do, um, <laughs> directly from our manufacturers. So it's a funny one. But Well, there should be some benefits. There are benefits. Yeah, they're great. They are great, actually. They do. Um, they, they like working with us. And so um, we've got, you know, great relationships with them. And so they'll often just send things. We say, no, we're not allowed. Take them back. <laughs> um, but we, yeah, I mean, our office is nicely decorated because of it. Fantastic. And so did this happen sort of, because I know you actually oversaw the IPO for Zoopla. That was kind of a, a key sort of career piece for you. Mm-hmm. Did this happen before the IPO or after the IPO? Where was it kind of in the, the journey for it you? It happened after the IPO. and but, I've, but, but in terms of being opportunistic and thinking about different things that I could do, I've always wanted to start my own business. And so the, the turning point in terms of, wow, this is something that I really want to do and spend a lot of time trying to fix happened post buying the flat. But before then... I'd always thought that I'd start something. Both my parents were entrepreneurs. They've got little businesses up in Manchester. And so I grew up in my dad's factory, packing boxes for him, you know, making sure that everything was ticking away well. So it's so, so for me, it's always been kind of part of my DNA to think, oh, one minute, why is that inefficient? There's an opportunity there. Why don't we do something? And so it wasn't like, you know, this happened and then I completely did a U-turn. I'd always been thinking about starting something anyway. Okay. I should mention that was the IPO at Zoopla too, just to be clear, you guys have not no, IPO'd yet. No, we have yet. not IPO'd. We have not. Give us a few years, but we have not IPO'd yet. <laughs> Fantastic. And so, I mean, it's great. You obviously have an entrepreneurial background working for the family business. So sort of looking back now, what do you know now that maybe would have been helpful or that you know you didn't know in the beginning, for example? Has there really been some sort of key learnings about things you wish you really would have known gosh everything um it's got specific things that we should have or I, I wish i'd have known well the thing that springs to mind actually is because we're going through this this stage at the moment which is our business is growing and so we're getting new people in the business and what's nice is that no one's voluntarily left our business and so we've got a really good team in place who Congrats. are fantastic yes which is which is fantastic and it's down to the team being fantastic and the culture being great but now we're getting to a stage where we're getting new people in and actually um, managing people's hard. I never realized how hard, but it's something that I, I just care naturally a lot about a lot of, well, all of the employees, but, but a lot of the team. And so for, for me, um, that's probably been the biggest learning that a lot of my time now is actually spent on people. It's not spent, you know, drawing up wireframes in a room, trying to figure out this you know complex issue that needs solving and being alone in terms of doing that or being with my co-founder Simon it's it's much more um, people focused than it was before which is great but it just means that my day-to-day has evolved completely every three months of this business um over time and now it's very very people focused and so knowing that up front I don't think would have changed anything but it was a bit of a shock to realize that actually my day's full of meetings now um and it's team catch-ups it's you know making sure that everyone's on sync in terms of making making sure that everyone knows what it is that we need to do it's um you know, interviews like this in terms of promoting what we do and so it's it's changed i think significantly and so tell me if i came to work for you tomorrow what would be the first thing I'd notice about the way you do things here at ePorter? Come work for us. Yes. <laughs> I am pretty busy running another venture, but I'd I love know, to know. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, the first thing that you'd notice is that we're fast. Everyone says that. They're like, I've never worked in a place as quick as this. So we um, 
we are um, flat structure. Well, I'll tell you what people, actually someone who's just joined has said. Um, flat structure, no hierarchy um, in terms of our first cultural point is best side day wins and it really does manifest itself in the team. Um, and, you know, the most, I hate using the word junior and senior, but the most, you know, inexperienced people in the team will have just as much day as I do um, or Simon does or anyone else in the team does. And so that's definitely number one. Number two, as I said, is we're quick. Um, we're fast we do not mull around we have fun in the office and there's constantly a cake being made a giggle being had and all the rest of it but we do things super super quickly and that's definitely something that the team says they enjoy because it makes them feel like they're making an impact every day um, although you know it could be a little bit stressful if you're not in that nature so the people who typically do really well are people who are fast-paced themselves and really get a thrill out of just doing lots of different things what else would you notice I'd say those two are the, the, the big ones. Those, okay. those are the things that keep coming up when people join. And so digging a little bit deeper on that, if I went and spoke to your team and asked them, what's it like to work with Anika? Gosh. What would they say? Go for it. Honestly. I'd love to know. <laughs> well, no, because I've actually asked them and I'm quite, um, I'm quite, I'm close with the team. And so um, what have they said? They've said that I am um, inclusive um, flat. So actually one of the things today is I'm very approachable. So it's not like I'm in an ivory office in the corner of the room. I'm sitting next to everyone in the team. And if someone wants to ask me a question, they can just pop up and ask me a question. So no one worries about, about approaching me about anything. Um, they will probably say that I um, have very high standards in terms of the quality of what we do. And um, in particular, customer satisfaction. So making sure that that everyone that we work with has a great experience. And so in the situation where I feel like, you know, that's not that's not happening, I'll be the first person to shout. Um, but luckily the rest of the team's also like that now, so that's great. Um, and then, yeah, fast, I'm quick. Um, I'm, yeah, super quick. Can they keep up? Done. They can actually, they can, and that's fantastic. And what's nice is that it's not fast in terms of working 24 seven, because I actually think you just burn out doing that. It's more when you're working, you know, make sure that you're not wasting time effectively um, in your day and that you're doing the thing that really adds value. And in the situation where you feel like you're doing something that doesn't, just kill it, don't do it because it's just a waste of everyone's time. So that makes people, as I said, feel very impactful in the day to day, um, but does mean that people are constantly thinking, is this the right thing to do? Is it not the right thing to do? Can they keep up? Yeah, definitely, 100%. Okay, so tell me, impressively, you were Guy Han's youngest ever hire at Terra Firma, I believe, at 21. Yes. Um, the next question is really around kind of understanding, you know, who who has championed you along the way? I'm, I'm guessing maybe Guy has been one of those people. Are there others? Yeah, so I think that it's an interesting one, and I get asked this quite a lot because there's, a, there's obviously a, a great program around mentorship um, now that I, I don't actually think existed a few years ago, at least for me, um, in particular for, for women as well, which is fantastic, and I mentor a few women um, in terms of helping them grow their careers in different ways and in particular around confidence because um, I do think there's a confidence gap between um, the average man and the average woman when it comes to being in the workplace but in terms of um, championing me I haven't had a mentor per se I've had people that I've worked for that when I've done a good job have said great you know let's 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 
do do help her do this or let's um, give her this other thing to do usually actually not help her do this more like right let's chuck her in the deep end on this other thing and so for me it's been people have taken chances on me Guy took a chance with me being super young um, the founder of Zoopla took a huge chance with me never having run an IPO before and um being 25 at the time and said yep sure you know why don't you run our IPO for us and let's see how that goes um so so people people have taken what I call like a punt on me and that's the thing that's really meant that you know I've managed to grow my network succeed in different things and um you know in certain areas been successful I don't think it's been a mentorship per se structure definitely hasn't been it's been more let's give you a chance and see how it goes and, you know, all the people who've invested on us now, so Guy's one of our investors, um, we've got most of the people that I've worked for, um, got every company that I've worked for, there's, there's an investor from that. And they're, they're doing it because they'll make money, right? And so there's a, well, they think they'll make money. And so it's, there's a, yes, they're doing it because they, they like me, but actually cash kind of talks for them, um, fortunately or unfortunately. And so for them, it's, you know, do I think this is a sensible investment to make or not? So, so it's more cutthroat, unfortunately, <laughs> than you probably after. Also, uniquely, though, is it, am I right in understanding then every single person you've worked for has invested in ePorter? Yes. Well, that is very impressive. Yeah. So not every, obviously, I've touched lots of people, but every company that I've worked for or someone who I've worked for has invested in ePorter. Fantastic. And... I mean, it sounds like you've clearly delivered some great things. So it really is about what you did in those jobs, which instilled confidence in those investors mm. and it being a great, you know, commercial opportunity. It's well done. Thank I'm, you. I'm impressed. Thank Fantastic. You. This stuff is not easy. Well, um, we're, we've got a long way to go still. So um, they're not getting their money back anytime soon. <laughs> can, can you tell us about maybe a pivotal moment that got ePorter to where it is today? A pivotal moment for the business. It's, you know, it's never been something's happened and then things have completely changed overnight. It's been super incremental. And I was talking to someone in our team, actually, who joined three months ago. And he was saying, even from three months ago, I can see how different it is, but we've not noticed the difference day by day. And so the, the, I think the crucial thing that happened maybe um, a year ago was, or maybe like eight, nine months ago, was people just loved the product and we saw the same people coming back time and time again and then we held events actually as well actually that was probably it we held started holding events where we met our users and the feedback that we got was super positive and so that was a thing that made me think okay great this works actually this 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 is not only works it's there's some real opportunity here in terms of making sure that we can build on this and spread the word out to lots of different people so I think that that's and that then you start getting referral traffic there's a lot of word of mouth in the industry and so you know 50% of the people who come our way have just someone's chatted to them and said you should become a member because it gives you these benefits and so it's just meant that I think that's probably the key thing that's happened so it's not been a overnight this we did this and that made it work it's been much more incremental and actually most of the founders that I know that have the same journey it's, it's there's usually not one thing that happens it's a slowly but surely you're nodding <laughs> slowly but surely you know lots of different things need to come your way and then all of a sudden this this seed starts blossoming and you're constantly trying to fill it with more water and like drown it <laughs> with water to try and make it work and then and then something just comes through 
So it's been more like that, I'd say. And you have a technical co-founder. Yes. Can you tell me about that journey a little bit, how you met Simon and how it's been working with a technical co-founder? Yeah, definitely. So Simon is a very good friend of mine. We went to university together. We lived together in a grossy flat which had mice um, in our second year of university um, and a bit of the third year as well, actually. But he, um, so basically what happened was I had the idea, I, I am technical in that I'm product-led technically, that's probably my sweet spot, um, but I'm not technical in terms of I can't write, write a line of code to save my life. And so I thought, right, I definitely do need a technical co-founder. Um, had a drink in a pub with Simon and said, do you know anyone who'd be interested? I'm thinking about doing this. Um, I think it's a great opportunity. And he said, you know what, I'd be interested in doing it. And then we both quit our jobs. So it was as simple as that, really. And that has been, I have to say, a fantastic journey because what's nice, people say don't do things with your friends. And I actually disagree. I think that don't do things with your friends in a situation where your friends are very similar to you. But in the situation where they're different and they bring a different skill set and you work in a very similar way, which Simon and I thankfully do, it's brilliant because you always trust the other person there's never an interview that worries about anything um going wrong or not someone not being on top of something um and it's just fun because you know you can grab lunch and have a wine on occasion and it's important because you spend most of your life at work and so you just need i think it's important to be happy as a simon and i we're very um you know, some of the team sometimes say we're like an old married couple because we'll, you know, in a situation where we think the other person's wrong, we will say, and there will be a debate. We'll never argue, but there will be a heated debate around something that we both are very sure on because we're both very, very sure of our opinion. And then we'll figure it out and then it will be fine. But that never goes to then any kind of feeling of resentment, any kind of, the next the next minute we'll be having a drink together or we'll say, Ash, do you want to grab some lunch? And it'll be totally fine. So I think, yeah, working relationships like that are golden. But yeah, just friends, friends to begin with. That's fantastic. Mm. So tell me, what are you doing differently here from a culture perspective at ePorter? What have you kind of introduced mm. that has allowed you to create this, you know, great energy? So I've obviously walked through the office today. People mm. seem genuinely really happy. Mm. It's obviously, you know, a beautiful office, mm. uh, beautiful interiors. Mm. But actually, the energy feels really good and, and positive. Is, is, have there been particular things you've done as the CEO to kind of help create that? Uh, yes and no. So I think that you know, we went through a time where the culture wasn't as great, actually. And I realized it was down to people in the team and people not fitting quite well with our DNA as a company. And the people who were super happy were the people who really did fit well in terms of our DNA. And so we, I mean, it's not been easy. Now, you know, we take it for granted slightly because we've got all these different people in the team who are fantastic. And the nice thing is, is that everyone is, what well, someone said the other day, everyone's slightly odd, but wonderful. And it's true, like everyone has their quirks um, and we love everyone for their quirks and we don't shy away from that at all. So it's kind of like the quirkier, the better. Um, be outrageous, be a total introvert, be whatever it is that you want to be, but kind of just be yourself. And I think that's the message that I've... Um, honed in loud and clear with the team is it's important to just be you and that's being authentic will just make you happy day to day um, and it means that you'll form real relationships so we've got people going on holiday we've got people who hang out all the time on the weekend we've got rugby teams somehow all female by the way um, Fantastic. which is you know um, involved and so I think it's just being yourself and not worrying about what someone's going to think about something that you've said or something that you've done um, I think has been key but it has we have had our challenges 
So you, you mentioned a work-life philosophy. Mm-hmm. If you were to give me that in a couple of sentences, what, what is it for you and I guess for Simon because it's obviously a, a shared one? Uh, work-life philosophy, um, oh, I don't know if it's a shared one for me right. Simon. We're not actually married. <laughs> <laughs> They're like marriages yeah. anyway, aren't they? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we're actually very different. So my work-life philosophy is um, not optimal. I work too hard, I know I do, but I'm happy to sacrifice a bit on life to work hard now. Um, And so I am, the most important thing for me is actually exercise. So I was at the gym, at gym every morning. Um, I swim, I run, I bike, I do lots of different things. So that's key. But in terms of um, general work-life philosophy, I think as long as I'm happy, it's fine to overwork. Um, When I feel like I'm unhappy, I try and switch off um, that, that's the way that I do but you know I don't shy away from the fact there's a sacrifice I don't at all well you obviously enjoy what you're doing yeah that's, that's the probably, key thing it is the key thing you're right it's really important and so tell me are you playing in the rugby team as well you no, mentioned a women's rugby team I'm far too like my whole team says that I am the most nimble person when it comes to like carrying boxes or anything like that I'm super weak so no, no. They, they'd kill me on the rugby field <laughs> so no team building for you on the rugby no no rugby, no rugby. They, they do rugby we're doing a marathon soon uh, we've had a few people who run marathons before um, so we're doing a kind of team running thing soon but but no rugby for me no they're always getting hurt it's 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 pretty rough it's really rough I keep saying guys girls <laughs> what are you doing it's just not worth it and they just love it so anyway, fantastic each of their own. yeah fantastic so tell me what difference does it make just beyond the tech scene to have a more more diverse talent leading tech company so not just women but you know mm. sort of changing the mold a bit I guess moving away from the the bro culture yeah I mean look so I'm diversity queen as I'm called around here so I'm female I'm mixed race Indian Yemeni East African and Iranian um, I'm young I look about 12 years old even though I'm not um, and so you know there's there's a diversity hashtag diversity is definitely here and I think it's important I think it's it means that you get different people's opinions. You, The world is diverse. And if you're trying to sell to the world, you need to understand those diversities. And so if we had an all-male team or an all-white male team, for instance, here, we, we're selling to women and men around the globe who have lots of different cultures. And so what we have is a culturally diverse team. We've got people from France, Germany, Spain. We're just hiring someone from Brazil. Um, to make sure that we are on top. Well, A, we're not hiring them for their diversity. We're hiring them because they're great. But then also it just means that we get a difference of opinion every single day um, in terms of different people's experiences in the team. So I think it's super important. I think it's crazy when people hire in their own mold um, the whole way. So you're obviously diversity queen, but what would you say is your superpower? Gosh, superpower... My superpower is solving problems. I solve problems quickly. And and that is um, problems like challenging intellectual problems, but then like people problems as well. The the team will come to me with an issue because I know that I'll figure out a way to solve the issue rather than dote on it in a way. So I always say, if you want something solving, come to me. If you don't want it solving, don't come to me because I will definitely solve the issue. And they 100% know that. And so I think it is probably just solving problems. Which sounds small, but it's what we do every day. You know, and the nuts and bolts of it, that's all we really do, is solve problems the whole day, the whole week, the whole month. (laughs) Your entire life. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Um, So, yeah, I think it'd be that. 
Okay. So we catch up for a drink, you and I, in, in 10 years' time. Mm-hmm. Tell me what's happened. Where are you? What are you doing? We are in... We have 20 offices around the world. We are... Um, yeah, I think... What, well, what I'd like to... to be is um, you know the COV Porter as a global business with lots of different places that we we capture internationally. So at the moment we're a very global business, but we're only in London in terms of team. We're looking at opening office in the US, um, but really what what we want to be is a global business um, and successful, happy. We maintain the culture, which is which will be hard as we grow. So we manage to somehow do that and have a team of really happy people who feel like they're doing something that's great every day. Impressive. So a little bit of a maybe a sensitive one. There's been a lot of stuff in the media at the moment around what is being termed sexual assault for female founders. I've seen it. Uh, you know, I guess VCs and people in those positions abusing power. I mean, you've had what seems to be a very great experience and you've also worked I think with with angels rather than sort of purely funds if I'm right uh, although it. we have had funds come okay. in since that first round any well firstly your thoughts on that what's happened more so in the states um, and just some general advice for female founders maybe starting the journey of raising money yeah definitely um, and this is very front of mind as you can imagine I think that well there's two things aren't there one thing is sexual assault which is completely insane um, and just wrong and people should be punished people should definitely have to leave their jobs there, there should be an ecosystem around that that really stamps that out because that's not okay I've never had that what I'm sure I have had although it's always difficult to prove out is unconscious bias and that is I think the more mainstream issue that exists in the world but in particular um, sorry about that I don't know what that was um, in particular um around female entrepreneurs. And I was having a chat with someone the other day about this. I think that the the issue is that there just aren't that many successful female entrepreneurs that are visible to these VCs. There are plenty of successful female entrepreneurs who are not visible to these VCs. And so the unconscious bias tends to be, I can't see someone within your mold having been successful before for someone else. Whereas if a guy who's a bit geeky comes in, who is, you know, coded all his life and has this new social media idea you'll think oh it could be Mark Zuckerberg couldn't he I can see a mold there and people do they imitate mold in terms of going looking for the next opportunity and so I actually think that that the women who've done well need to a showcase themselves more to say I have done well this is frankly the amount of money that we have made for VCs um, or for anyone because that is that's the thing that will change people's perception it's it's have you been successful in a financial capacity? Um, and I think that people in these VC firms just need to be conscious of it and they need female partners because at the end of the day, women will not have as much unconscious bias towards women as men will. And that's just a fact of life because they're more like you. And um, I still think there, there will be unconscious bias that exists for women as well because it's a similar thing. Have you seen a woman be as successful, et cetera, et cetera, but it will be less so. And so I think diverse teams at VCs is important and being aware as a VC that it's 90%, you can be 90% confident that it exists, right? Don't shy away from the fact that it exists. So question yourself each time you're meeting a female entrepreneur um, in the way that, you know, when I get LinkedIn messages from people who want to be hired, 
I will make sure that I read every single one and not go for the ones where I can see the, I know the university that they went to. I can see the mold of individual they are that's similar to the rest of the team. I shy away from just doing that and make sure that I read everyone's messages because otherwise there will be an unconscious bias there. And one last thing, I mean, we always talk about in my business sort of what gives you the rage. Is there anything that gives you the rage? Rage, as yeah. in um, angry. Angry that gets you motivated and moving and projects you forward. Rage, gosh. Um, I'm far too emotionless for rage. <laughs> um, rage. You, you are, you're not a robot, are you? No, I'm not a robot Okay, at just all. checking. Not at all. You've been very good pose this interview. <laughs> what gives me rage? Um, I'm trying to think of when have I raised my voice recently? Because I have done, I do on occasion, but not very often. I mean, it doesn't have to manifest itself in a physical. Um, I hate laziness. I really don't like laziness. That's probably, I shouldn't say that, should I? It makes me sound like a psycho, but I really don't <laughs> like it. I don't know what, I mean, my, one of my best friends is the laziest sod that I know, and he's great, but he's really lazy. And the thing that gets me, I'm like, get out, do something. <laughs> Just, you know, and so I think that that is, I like, I really like people who get up and go. I think that's, those are the people that I'm naturally attracted to that I, you know, um, not actually because my, my best friend is really lazy, so maybe I'm not, but um, but I think that that's probably, that's that's probably the thing that gives me rage is, actually people not, people not capturing opportunity. I think that's what gets me rage. I think there's this thing that you could go and do and it's amazing and it will make you super happy. I, the, the, the not doing it part of that just baffles me and that manifests itself in a very, you know, forceful, right, but you know, why, why wouldn't you do that <laughs> kind of fashion? So I think that's probably it. That's probably the thing that gets me the most kind of excited. Okay, so you're clearly a highly motivated individual. I'm getting that loud and clear. Yeah, because I think it's you've got one life, so live it, you know, have fun. As long as you're doing something that's fun, it doesn't have to be motive. It could be, you know, go do a ballet class if you've always wanted to do ballet. Like, I really want to learn the piano and it really ir irritates me that I have not got my act together in terms of figuring out how to learn the piano. So it's things like that that I just think, you know, if you want to do something, just go for it. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Workin' With podcast series. You can find us on iTunes and at workinwith.com. That's W-E-R-K-I-N with.com. dot